0: This week on Big Meow. Cause I'm that I need to be found. Crazy as it sounds, I need to be around.
1: With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi.
0: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. This week, another one of our polls, Jay. This is the poll from May to pick our June review. June has begun. It's hot out. Real hot. I think the sun's a little Indeed. too close. <laughs> it's that time. I don't feel like June has always been this hot. I feel like July and August is when it starts to scorch. And this week we're looking at nineties. Yep. In in Ohio. Yep. I don't like that. Not one bit. What I do like, Jay, is our polls when we get a lot of votes. This one got a lot of votes, but most of them went to just one record. It was a diverse yeah. poll. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think uh, the, this band that won is the only band I'd ever heard of on the, in the poll. It was a lot of really what I felt was pretty obscure stuff. So,
0: Yeah, so for this particular poll, as we always do, we had eight albums suggested over at digmeoutpodcast.com. You go to the suggestion box, you throw your suggestion in here, are yeah, in there, and it goes into our magic sorting hat, and the hat chooses which uh, poll these records will go into. Uh, that's copyright me right now, 2020, the idea of a sorting hat. At, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, for this particular poll, Jay, I, mo- like you said, most of these i never even heard of in terms yeah. of... The band. So that was a great poll in terms of it being really diverse, but also there was one band that you and I both recognized, and that just crushed the rest of the field. So these, yeah. are the, these were the picks, and we need to thank the following folks who, who made suggestions. Eric Peterson, Tom Hicks, Lee, Rose Severe, Alex Loring, Wayne Bosch, or Bosch, Edward Learman, and Gary Moran. These were the, these were the ones that did not win. Byron's, the Alien, the Rabbit, and the Monkey. I don't even know how to. S- Yusk, Bathia, Voice of the Voyager. That, that uh, Byron album,
1: like I could only find one um, file of the album art, and it was super tiny. Like that tells me usually an <laughs> yeah. album is very obscure if you can't find another copy of the album art. And yeah. Like, you
0: can find is like 100 by 100 pixels. <laughs> nice. Um, blood on the Saddle, new blood with three votes tied with thin white rope, the ruby sea. Four, bo- four votes for hardship post, somebody spoke. Seven votes to, oh, I'm sorry, one vote for the lowest of the low, Shakespeare, my butt. Come on. <laughs> But uh, I was putting that one in,
1: and I was like, wait, is the band Shakespeare in my butt, or is the band Lois Low?
0: Good. That's a good question. And I wasn't
1: sure. Mm-hmm. Now, Jay, right.
0: this is the one that people thought I was going to have a horrific time pronouncing. Yeah, let's but hear I looked it. it up Gorky's Zygotic Monkey is how you pronounce it. All right. Spanish dance troupe, they got seven votes. Our winner, the runaway winner. 12 votes so so many more votes than than nobody else is in double digits the smoking popes born to quit jay yes that was the pick by none other than andrew oc here's the funny part andrew oc was just on right he was going to pick this album for his pick but then it, it ended up getting into the poll, and it was ahead. Of, and, he, and I was like, "Look, dude, it's it looks like it's going to win. Do you do you still yeah. want to do this?" And he's like, "No, we'll do something else." So we were going to do this record one way or another; it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And quite honestly, uh, it's not the first time it's been brought up. I believe when we talked about pop punk in the '90s, that this album came up, and it probably came up other times as well. So did it come up?
1: Probably in our Chicago Roundtable, did Chicago
0: Roundtable, yep. Yeah. I think so. Were you familiar with the Smoking Popes, Jay?
1: Um, I can't say that I ever listened to them. I definitely knew the band name. I knew the album, Art. Um...
0: You knew the single? Just from hearing it? I don't know if I knew the single. From this record? Yeah. No. Ne- need You Around? Uh-uh. Really? Because it was in Clueless. Okay. It's on the soundtrack and it's in the movie. So I very much remember the single. We played the heck out of it at uh, WFAL, the college radio station. Jason and I both DJed at in the 1990s. Um, I don't think it was a heavy rotation single. I want to say it was like a medium rotation single, but it was I remember playing it for quite a while. I don't remember any other songs being played. Uh, I know Rubella was also a single, but I don't think we played it at the station. So let's get into some of the comments from the folks who posted a Patreon. Eric Peterson said, I had to pick the Thin White Rope because I suggested it. They were a strange band in that they had their toes in a few worlds. SoCal Punk World, the Paisley Underground, the desert scene, and the alt-country world. They seemed to be something else. For fans of whatever genre and maybe ahead of their time. But I'm also a fan of Blood on the Saddle, mainly 80s stuff, but they were an important part of the mix of punk punk and country that led to the alt-country scene in the 90s. David Haverland said, While I love the Smoking Popes, the Hardship Post need to get some attention. Great Canadian band with excellent, catchy songs. They likely won't win, but please give them a listen. Thomas Crime says, This was down to the Smoking Popes, Hardship Post, and Gorky's Zygotic Monkey. In the end, I went with Gorky because sonically the album just grabbed my attention. It may slow down just a bit in the middle, but at 15 songs and 40 minutes, there's plenty to enjoy. Plus, the album track was covered by Of Montreal and has a bit of nostalgia for me. I would like to see Hardship Post covered in another episode, though. Perhaps. Richard Waterman says, since I live in Wales, I should vote for Gorky's Zygotic Monkey, but I... Going for the Hardship Post. I had never heard of them before, so it was another pleasant surprise brought to me by Dig Me Out. Thanks to Dig Me Out, I have discovered more Canadian bands that I really like now. Well, there you go. First, we cracked the Australian market, Jay. Now we are cracking open Canada. (laughs) We're like the McDonald's of 90s indie rock podcasts. We're We're just spreading our brand around the country, around the world. Right. Uh, Whitney Beeler says Hardship Post gets my vote Jeremy Amend Saw the Smoking Popes Finally when they opened For the Descendants last year It's really the only band I recognize on the list Guess I'm getting old Nobody if you're getting old Because these aren't new bands It's not like right. You know It's not like uh, These are Anybody well, put out a record last year Maybe he's forgetting Oh yeah Oh it's, it's Yes It is because of your dementia That's fair. <laughs> Sorry Jimmy. Uh, Steve Brzezinski said As soon as I saw that Born to Quit was in this month's poll I knew it would be a slam dunk The Popes took equal parts Moans and The Smiths And what came out the other side is damn near perfect record Sure it's formulaic to a degree But honestly At 10 songs at 28 minutes How can you go wrong I'm hard pressed to imagine This not scoring anything other than a worthy album and Would you look at that Once again the leader of the poll Doesn't have the comments to back it up Is it a dig me out conspiracy <laughs> Andrew O.C., the person who suggested it, says smoking, pups. smoking Popes are such an amazing band My wife and I's first dance at our wedding is this, Was to a Smoking Pope song Which is uh, I, know, I Know You Love Me Which I believe is on the next record um, Is it Destination Nowhere? Is that the name of the album? Destination Failure Destination Failure, thank you uh, Patrick Testa said, let's go with Gorky's I really dig that band. Hey, Richard, should we tell Tim how to pronounce the band's name, or should we just, just just enjoy the array of attempts that are sure to ensue? Ha! I looked it up on their Wikipedia page, and it gives an exact <laughs> explanation of what the words are and how to pronounce them. I, I saw that one coming a mile away, guys. Mike Bond, going with Gorky's Zygotic Monkey. I remember them getting played loads by John Peel back in the early to mid-90s and always really enjoyed their psychedelic folk sound. Plus, as already mentioned, it should be entertaining to hear Tim pronunci- Tim's pronunciation <laughs> test with this one. You have all been defeated. I did it perfectly. That's what happens when you study ahead. You know it
1: would be awesome if it's a... Somebody went in and edited the uh, Wikipedia right before this,
0: <laughs> the show, knowing that, would that you'd be go great. there. Why does he keep saying monkey? Because it says so. It says so on their page. It says, Gorky's came from the word gawky. Lawrence, one of the members, says that gork was a school slang for a dimwit. Zygotic was hijacked from GCSE biology. It refers to the state of being like a zygote a fertilized egg cell monkey is a spelling of the word monkey using Welsh spelling rules rather than a direct Welsh translation. It is pronounced like monkey. If somebody went in there and edited that good on them, you you guys win. (laughs) So born to quit was released originally on the label. Johan's face which is a small label. When you look them up, the only other band that I recognized is Alkaline Trio. I did not recognize a single other name from what they released. So they put out the record. They ended up getting asked to open on tour for... Um, well, you mentioned they're from Lake in the Hills, Illinois, but they're you know mentioned as being from Chicago. Um, it's two brothers, Josh Caterer and who's the lead singer, guitarist, and then Matt Caterer, and on this record, Matt Caterer plays bass guitar, and then Eli Caterer plays guitar. He was not an original member; Eli Caterer he joined later. So it's three brothers: Josh, Eli, and Matt. And like, and then on drums is Mike Thalumi, It was recorded with Phil Vont Phil Bonnet, who recorded their first record, um, and then, like I mentioned, was on Johans face the band uh when was the tour so they go out they they you know they put out their first record which is called get fired it's on that label and prior to that they had been in a band together um the three brothers called S- speed stick and they grew up so this is an interesting aspect they grew up uh listening to crooners thanks to their parents. Their parents had like Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra records around. So they were listening to that along with like Mel Torme and other stuff. And then they got into the the Ramones and punk rock. So that's where, if you're wondering where the sort of their take comes from, uh, they draw a direct line back to those, those crooners of the 1950s and sixties. So, in 94, after Get Fired was released, Green Day asks them to open. And they, so they get a lot of attention from that. They record Born to Quit. They release it on the indie label. And then based on them opening for Green Day and people seeing them, like label scouts, they get signed to Capitol Records who re release the record and then putting them on a, they put them on a tour with Tripping Daisy at that time who had you know they had a big single out in the mid 90s um was it i got a girl is that the single that was the big one from tripping daisy
1: Uh, i have to take your word for it
0: okay so then when the uh need to need you around which was the single off of that album was added to the clueless soundtrack they ended up getting the single of the week in new music express. So they ended up touring England and Scotland with a uh, jawbreaker and the album did okay, but didn't meet capital's expectations. So they came back, got Jerry Finn, the well-known producer who had worked just, just previously worked with green day and rancid. And he started working with them on their next record. And then they, they went out on tour with the figs and Jimmy Eat world, two bands that we've, talked about on this podcast. Yeah. And then they kept recording, kept recording in, in 97. They took the next record to the label. Guess what the label said? I don't hear a single. Exactly. (laughs) So they kept writing and, and, you know, they, and they took the diplomatic approach and said, okay, well we're going to keep writing. And they kept writing and kept writing. And they finally wrote, I know you love me. And the label said, yeah, that could be a hit and then fire their A&R guy and the album got shelved. So finally, uh, <laughs> the album comes out after all these delays and um, they stayed together for a little while after that. Um, They put out an album in 2003. The party's over. But after touring and which was a covers album to basically fulfill their contract with Capitol, josh caterer became heavily involved in christianity and ended up uh leaving the band and and they would reunite occasionally to play shows and then they ended up fully reuniting in 2008 and then they've put out albums in 2008 2010 2011 and 2018 but uh there was a a period when he was not doing music so and they've also released some eps in there as well so but they have been a consistent band now for looks like a de- about a decade continue to put out music like i mentioned you know uh into the agony came out in 2018 they've had a number of ep singles what have you so let's talk about the record jay born to quit Since you were not familiar at all with Smoking Popes, tell me one thing you liked about the record.
1: Well, I I came in with some preconceptions that um, they were going to be pop punk in some way. I was not expecting the vocal, which was a pleasant surprise. So, And and I felt like way more pop than punk, too, Um, other than some, some drum beats here and there that are a little... You know, double time feeling, um, and kind of have that punk skip to them. I don't hear a lot of punk on here. I, I hear mostly really almost uh, traditional kind of Beatles-esque, you know, pop rock songs mm-hmm. with you know heavy guitars, pretty pretty distorted, big guitar sound. You know, the drumming is is a fairly aggressive. You've got some really cool drum um, guitar solos and leads too, which I wasn't expecting. And then you've got this vocal on top that is just unlike any other band with, that would even be in this space. Yeah, you hear some Morrissey. I can also hear some like Paul McCartney. I can hear some um, smithereens
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: here and there. I mean, he's just – he's singing from his chest and he's got some vibrato, which is what gives it that yeah crooner, I guess, label. But I would say this band is more – to me, almost more like Weezer. Or maybe Smithereens than a lot of the other bands that you mentioned they toured with, and like Green Day or even Jawbreaker or any, anything like that. Like, there's just a much, it's just a really great sense of melody and songwriting. I, I did not expect that coming into this record. You know, a song like Rubella is like mind blowing how efficient that song is. Mm-hmm. Um, under 30 seconds, you're into the chorus. Actually, you're, you hear two choruses within the first 40 seconds. <laughs> it's just like, boom, 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 boom. You're at the bridge at 50 seconds. You're at the guitar solo at one minute. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. And it doesn't feel, like, rushed, you know? It just, it's, like, uh, well-edited is the way it feels. Oh, like. yeah. Like, they just sat down, were like, okay, don't need this part, don't need this part, don't need this part, and just, you know, fire it up. So, I was really impressed with the sound, the concept. It stays consistent through the whole record, although there there is some exploration here and there, um, bringing in some acoustics, bringing the tempos down a little bit. But... You know, they don't lose the script. It, it it stays, you know, kind of within the wheelhouse um, that you hear on the first couple of songs. So I just really enjoyed, you know, a fairly sophisticated songwriting and melodic approach with very straightforward guitars, very straightforward drums and a vocal that is unique, emotive. Um, I think it goes with the Lover's Lament kind of theme with some mm-hmm. of these lyrics, too, in a way that I think other voices... like If he had more of a whiny voice, I think some of these lyrics would be awful. But because of the way he sings, it brings this like, sophistication to the lyrics that are relatively simple and straightforward. Yeah, those are some of the things I liked. I was not expecting this.
0: Yeah, I remember that the tag when Need You Around came out was... Well, it's a punk band, but the dude sings like Morrissey on top of it. And so I didn't check him out because I was like, well, this is clearly like just sort of like a a gag, you know, this is this is like Green Jelly or some band that's just doing this as a lark. But when you actually listen to the record, the whole the whole record and you recognize, especially now, I can hear the phrasings and the various Ways that he incorporates different styles. When you listen to the chorus of Need You Around, that is 100% Frank Sinatra. That crazy as it sounds, like that's so rat pack. Yeah. And it's, it's astounding that the, he's able to layer that so seamlessly on top of what is a pop rock bed of music. I mean, that's to me, that song to me is th- them at their most Ramones in terms of music and it and him at his most crooner. Whereas you mentioned it like Mrs. You and Me sounds is it very much in like that smithereen's oh. style. There's even there's some Elvis Costello sounding vocals here. When you know Elvis Costello is known for that like snotty vocal on some of his earlier stuff, but he turned into a crooner on a lot of his you know later '80s stuff. He tackled a lot of different sounds with country and and R and B and got into singing you know with Burt Bacharach and stuff like that. So I could definitely hear where where Elvis Costello is an influence on this. But you're right, like I mean, if you take the The last song is five minutes. This is a 29-minute record, which means the first nine songs are 24 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) There's one song over three minutes in the first nine songs. They absolutely know how to structure these where they can, like you said, get to the first chorus in under 30 seconds. And they still have time for some really cool guitar solo here and there that maybe last only ten seconds, but there's some there's some cool stuff that goes on. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these three brothers played together for fifteen years, basically from when they were like little little kids, they were listening to music together, and then they were also like learning instruments together. so there is a natural sort of understanding of what each person is doing so it's it sounds really seamless when you hear like the the way that the guitar plays off of. Uh, his vocal and need you around like those, those leads that he's doing sound perfectly matched.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of um, use of dynamics that are like pauses where Mm -hmm. the vocal, the guitar and drums will pause. And so the vocal, like they're all together on this, on the dynamics. And it, it happens a lot. It's almost like the signature thing of I really like work through these and craft them to the point where it's these little subtle things they're doing here and there that, um, really level up the material and the performance to just has that extra layer of craft on it that, that you, you know, distinguishes it from another guitar, um, garage band or another punk band. Um, and I think overall just puts a polish on the songs that, that they need.
0: Yeah. Well, a- another example of, a, you know, if you, again, if you go with them with the preconceived notion that this is just somebody singing like Morrissey, you play them a song like My Lucky Day, which again is two minutes. It's 2.06. There's even a guitar solo in there at 2.06. And that sounds way more in like the power pop of, uh, of the 80s in, in yeah, terms it- of the smithereens and those kind of bands and...
1: It's- if you told me they were covering, like, uh, maybe an early Wings song, I would totally believe Oh, you. yeah. That. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, yeah. OK, I can hear that. Yeah. It's a very Paul McCartney-esque melody.
0: I'm telling you, it's never been this way. The only one that really, you know, looking back at it now, I had need to need need you around, and a lot of people are that wrong that it's it's not Morrissey, it's it's Sinatra and it's Tony Bennett. Midnight Moon is one of the few where I go, oh okay, but he doesn't really cite Morrissey as an influence. But what's funny is that Morrissey actually did like take them out on tour and um, said that he thought they were adorable. This is pre troublesome Morrissey. We're talking about like two thousand, right? But had very nice things to say, which you would think like, oh, if this band of you know snotty kids from the Midwest are making music that sounds like me, I might have like a an issue with it. But he actually dug it, which I was I would have been shocked, you know, to know that at the time. Um, But I don't what's ironic is like now going back to it i'm like i don't really hear the morrissey all that much other than that they're in the same sort of range
1: yeah that that seems like such a lazy. i mean i I don't know it's it feels a little lazy like i mean glenn danzig sings like this you know um it's true this isn't like yeah not a lot of people did it over guitars because it's hard to do right i mean you're singing a chest a chest voice that, that's a deeper register. So to get that to come over top of guitars that tend to be in the same range, it's not easy to do. Um, so just, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, Morrissey did it most prominently, probably from a pop perspective. But. Yeah.
0: One of the that I really liked as far as Josh caterers vocals is in got to know right now when he hits that chorus and he like kind of yells it a little bit. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. That is perfect. Yep. 'Cause he lets his voice break just a little bit and it just adds that layer of emotion to that song that you know you could easily soften that and sing it much cleaner, but the fact that he digs in and lets his voice break a little bit just makes it that much better.
1: Goes with the lyric too. Yes. It's a nice way to deliver the right now.
0: wonders if this there seems to be a a thread i mean i know a lot of these songs are about girlfriends and 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 various stages and i'm wondering if there's some if there's an intentional thread throughout this record or if they're just a collection of songs it almost feels like they were written as a batch together for a a um not a concept per se but just there's a lot of lamenting <laughs> on this record right. But I think you nailed it with the early Beatles, as you know, the, the 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 amped up, you know, Buddy Holly influenced, old school rock and roll, very very um, stripped down, and and using the four piece to its maximum ability in terms of dynamics, and everybody you know coming up with their interesting parts that's to me like where this band sits like right right in that early rock and roll with obviously updated production yep. but we could talk about what didn't work for us but i don't have a lot <laughs> that didn't work for me yeah um it's it's just so tight and enjoyable there's not a there's not like a clunker in there for me i don't know were there any songs that didn't sit well with you
1: um, on the shoulder, I thought was not them at their best, you know it's kind of it turn, almost turns into an instrumental. It's long um the intro section is lumbering I, I I thought that was um not they they don't go out on the strongest song. um, just broke up. it's okay. it feels a it, it's funny it's like that song is me like when they're just a little too generic um are safe and you can kind of hear the difference between that and the rest of the album where you know they're they've found some little details or things you know to bring to the song that differentiate it and that one just feels a little like it's the middle of the record, you know, it just feels like um an album track. But other than that, I mean I don't have a whole lot to uh to critique about the rest of them. Uh, the rest of the tracks are
0: pretty strong. It's just fun. It's a fun yeah. record that goes by really quick and you're you're right. The last song is not uh their best moment, but it is the last song and I think if it was just shorter and they just tightened it up on the front and the back end, that style would have worked like doing that kind of slow approach. Um I wonder if Maybe they, if they just had it edited, it would have fit better with the rest of the material.
1: Yeah. Um. Sonically, this is, it's a it's it's okay. That would be my only other critique. Would be um, it's just missing some low end. You know, I've listened to it. Um, the CD quality version. You know, with my my headphone set up, that you know is a pretty good judge and it's just missing some low end oomph um that's why i was kind of curious to hear that the video version of uh need you around because it had a little bit more punch um it this tends to be a little uh brittle on the on the high end side so i just wish it was maybe re- if they could remaster it it probably would help um it don't it don't you can t- kind of tell that this was, uh, it sounds like recorded on a independent budget and then released on a major as opposed to, you know, recorded on a major budget. hmm Um, it's not terrible. It's just, you know, could just use a little bit of a, a polish and a, and a remaster to really help it. It did <laughs> get, a little
0: bit more. it did get re-released on vinyl with bonus tracks because quite frankly, it's 29 minutes. You can fit more songs onto the vinyl. Right. So there were two unreleased songs uh, in 2013, Side One Dummy put out. Um, I don't know if it was remastered, but I'm, I'm looking to see if the... Uh, I think it was because I'm looking at where the original was mastered and then where the new stuff was. So I think they gave it a new mastering. I would assume so only because... There was no vinyl release originally, which means they mastered it for a CD. So I would uh, yeah. think that they'd have to remaster to do the vinyl release if you're going to do a good job. Yeah, definitely.
1: Did you notice uh Can't Help the Teardrops um, in particular and then Adina as well? Those songs sound different to me. Like when I got, like if you just A, B between those songs and the rest of the album, it's they almost sound like they were recorded at a different studio or something. Like it's very his voice is a lot more present. Um it's almost boomy. The guitars are a little bit thinner sounding. Um they're using acoustics too, but maybe that's it. The drums even sound a little bit different. I don't know, the those last three songs on the record almost make me think that uh maybe we're different sessions or something. I'm not sure.
0: It's it would not surprise me if it were with different sessions they were all recorded at the same studio but cuz the band was touring at this time I wonder if they split the sessions up and some of them were done you know at, at a different period based on when their touring schedule was so like you know they couldn't they couldn't quite get all 10 songs done yeah. or whatever however many they rec- ended up recording plus the stuff that was later released so there's there's nothing in there's no information on either Discogs or the Wikipedia page as to whether or not they were, you know what the what the recording schedule sure. was like. Again, I mean this was an indie band at the time, recording with, you know, at a at a small studio, yeah, in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. <laughs> so. You know, not exactly. uh, I I don't know who else recorded there. I'd be I'd be curious to know. It's like there's not even a link to it, in terms of where they recorded. I'm trying to see what else the producer did. I don't recognize like any of the other bands, other than Screeching Weasel. So a lot looks like a lot of like local stuff. Yep. So. You know, when you're when you're going down that road, there's if there's opportunity to record more than once, you're probably going to get a different setup, and then things can sound different.
1: Yeah, so. and I sampled the second record; it definitely sounds just better engineered. And produced. well, this is the second.
0: You, can, you mean the third record, Destination Failure? Like there's more
1: separation. You can hear the bass player. Like it just sounds like an overall better engineered record.
0: Yeah, and that was recorded with. Yeah, that was Jerry Finn mentioned earlier. So Jerry Finn, obviously, is going to bring a lot more to the table with his experience, yep. especially after just coming off of working with, you know, I think it was Green Day and, and Rancid that were mentioned earlier. Did, so, you, uh,
1: did you listen to any of the other uh, sample their catalog at all?
0: I sampled the single for Destination Failure because they shot the video in one take. I know you love me, is the name of the song. So I wanted to see what the video looked like in comparison to "Need You Around," but other than that, no. Did you?
1: Uh, I just did a quick run through just to hear what the different records kind of sonically were like, and it it struck me a little bit that they, on some of the um, later material, it isn't. They kind of lose the sound a little bit. Hmm. Um, It sounds a little bit more. I don't know, his just vocal style seems a little bit more toned down, less croonery, and I kind of missed that. I'd have to dig in deeper, but it just didn't, at, at, at a glance, didn't sound like, oh yeah, they picked up with that sound. It sort of, he's singing in some different voices and different tones.
0: Interesting. So this did have one fairly successful single, Need You Around, made his number 35 on the, I guess, the modern rock charts. I think that was the charts that... No, sorry, number third, yeah, thirty-five on the modern rock charts. The album made it to number thirty-seven on the Billboard Top Heatseekers charts, but they didn't sell a, a huge amount of this record. There are a ton of great songs, but I would imagine you know this is a, it's still jarring in a certain sense. His vocal kind of throws you for a loop the first time you hear it. I got to imagine, like, you know, 1994, I don't know that people were ready to hear Frank Sinatra over the... You know, it's like Frank Sinatra stepped on a stage with the Ramones, and Joey Ramone was like, here, you sing a song. Yeah. (laughs) So I can understand why it didn't necessarily connect with everyone in the same way that, you know, at the same time, Green Day and Rancid, The Offspring, those punk bands, pop punk, whatever you want to call them, were doing better. And then, you know, on the other side you've got Weezer with the Blue Album who are doing this pop but in a much more I guess uh, traditional way in comparison so and it helps to have Rico O'Kasic also be producing a record in that sense as well it's made for radio essentially yeah I also go back to my like quirky lyric uh,
1: theory too because you know Buddy Holly and Sweater Song like Mm -hmm. lyrically there's it has that those lines or even song titles that are just you know notable uh almost novelty-esque um yep i think this band lacks that i mean these songs are fairly lyrically or you know pretty pretty conventional um so Something like that probably would have helped this band, you know, cut through for whatever reason. (laughs) The 90s loved like 90s radio loved uh, songs with with lyrics like that, where it's like memorable words or things that are familiar or clever, whatever.
0: Yes. Cleverness or or nostalgia built in. Yeah. So were the album better EP decent single? Where do you land? Worthy album and so,
1: so nice. Uh, how concise and sharp it is. Yep. Um, really appreciated that. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot here to complain about. Um, like I said, even the material that, um, I, th- I think so much of it sets a high, such a high bar that even the stuff that the two songs I mentioned that don't quite meet it are still, still pretty good. So, yeah. we the album for me.
0: Right there with you. We're the album. Thanks to Andrew OC for suggesting this. Uh, we would have gotten to it one way or another. So. Thanks. And thanks to everybody who voted, everybody who commented over at Patreon. Greatly, appre- greatly appreciate the support of our patrons. If you would like to be a patron, as we mentioned, Dmo Union or DigMeOutUnion.com. that's where you go to join us. If you'd like to suggest an album, digmeoutpodcast.com. you go there, you can suggest an album. You can also sign up for our box new lo- you can also sign up for our box newsletter delivered to you every week updates on new releases, one minute reviews, you get all the recent happenings at Dig Me Out episodes. 80s episodes, that kind of stuff.
1: It's usually a pretty good heads up on what we're voting on at the time. because yep. Every week that we're voting on something for it's true for future episodes.
0: Just did the votes on our June 80s episode and our June roundtable, so those will be uh, coming up shortly. And also, if you like what you heard, Apple Podcasts, leave us some uh, you know positive feedback. We had some nice bumps from our Muse episode. Over in the UK, we jumped almost 100, point, 100 spots, which is nuts. Like a rocket ship. Yeah. Into the top uh, 30 in the UK in music discussion. So watch out, EDM podcasts. <laughs> we're coming think, for you. I
1: think now that they have the, uh, the music uh, commentary genre, we're out of the EDM world. I'd have to see. Oh, we are? I- oh, Good. Yeah, well, we're I mean, we're in the music category, too, and that's where you just get obliterated by EDM. But now they have a music commentary category. So we have a fighting chance to maybe, you know,
0: crack the top 20. We should suggest a 90s music or, or by decade. So we so we will work, work over the 90s so that we can dominate that category. I did think. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.